Good morning. Good morning, church. Let's all stand together today, all right? I want you to sing out good songs this morning. God so loved the world that he gave.
have a seat. It's good to see you this morning as we worship together. Um, I had a few conversations before church. Uh, who has a Taylor Swift watch party tonight? Oh, wait, that's the Super Bowl. Super Bowl, sorry. Uh, that's tonight. Um, I know we, we have one that we're looking forward to. Um, and so hopefully you do as well. But as we get started this morning, just want to welcome you. If you're visiting with us, I uh, would love for you to fill out that connection card somewhere in the seat back around you um, and give you a gift just to thank you for taking time to be here this morning. But with that being said, I want to encourage us, as we started last week, we started talking about our freedom campaign. And so our goal as a church over the next few months is to become debt-free as a church. And we shared what that would look like and what that would mean as a church and what that would free us up to do to better engage our mission as a church. That we know why we're here, we're here to make disciples of Northeast Georgia. And so by becoming debt-free, it would help us to better accomplish that mission. And so that's what we're seeking after. And so this morning and next Sunday, you're going to hear from a few folks. And what we're trying to do is we know that there's some that are sitting here that weren't here when this building was built. And so we just want to share a little bit of that history from some folks that were here during that process and what that would mean as a church to be debt free. And then our last Sunday in February, we're calling it our Freedom Sunday. Hopefully on your way in, you received an envelope this morning. And on that envelope, this is our Freedom Campaign. It's specifically designated for that. I encourage you just to take this envelope home and to begin to pray over it. Pray and ask God what it might be that you can give towards this project. What your family can give to better pursue our mission. And so what we're gonna do is the 25th, that Sunday morning, we'll take time and have a special offering that Sunday where we will pray and we'll collect these. There's gonna be a few different options because we understand um, sometimes finances can be tricky, but if God's blessed you and you wanna give a one-time gift, you can do that on the envelope. Or maybe God's leading you to give X amount per month over the next six months. You can fill that out as well that Sunday. Because what we want to do that Sunday is we want to leave here and be able to say this is our target date of when this building will be paid off based on that Sunday is our goal. So as I said, I encourage you to take time to grab one of these and take it home and begin to pray. But I've asked Mike to share just for a couple minutes about a little bit of the history in case you didn't know. And then we're gonna go back into a time of corporate prayer as we did last week. And if you're comfortable, once Mike gets finished, just come gather around this altar to pray. Or if you're more comfortable staying where you are, you're more than welcome to stay there as well. But we're gonna pray corporately over this freedom campaign. And Chip's going to lead that prayer. So, Mike, come take a few moments. Thank you, Pastor. Thinking back over all of the things that transpired when 
we begin to even think about a new building, you gotta, you gotta know kind of where the church was, I guess, at that time. We were meeting in what is now this area behind us. It's the library, my office, the choir room, just that little space out there. So it, generally it's almost, it's about the size of the stage here. If you just want a comparative thought, it's about the size of the stage in the choir loft was what we were meeting in. And we would, that room would seat about comfortably, probably around 250, sort of comfortably. But we were putting chairs in the aisles down the side. We were meeting in the room in the back with a, at that time, the best me and Scott could come up with, a closed circuit TV system so we actually had people watching in other rooms but we we, you know 300 or so on a Sunday morning at that time in that space with that educational space area and a lot of you in here were here then and you can remember that some of you but our pastor then at that time uh, brother Charles Perkle sometime around 99 I guess something like that I began he, he, he began to share a an urge, a vision in his heart that, hey, we, we, need, we need to build additional space. So he was sharing and talking to people about that, and there were a lot of people with a lot of opinions. Let's do this. Let's do that. Um, some were basically enlarging the room that we had, going the other way. And then we had a vision of coming out this way, which at that time was a, it was our football area. It's where we played football out here. Grassy knoll, as it were. Um, but Charles, one of the things he, he, he was impressing on people, let, look, if we're going to do this, let's do God-sized thing, okay? And we were about, we were in no way a size enough to look at a building this size. But I, I remember hearing him say that a lot of times in a lot of meetings. We get, you know, we, let's do a God-sized thing. Let's do something. Wish we had a built, you know, we don't want a few years down the road. Let's, let's, let's let God do this. So people were placed on teams and committees, and we came up with an idea of doing this. And so construction started sometime like 03. 2003, we were still meeting in there. They put up plastic on that wall and while they were constructing this out here. And at some point in time before August, we're going to find that Scott's team put together a great uh, time-lapse video. A lot of you remember seeing it. It's been a long time since we've showed it, of everything from the ground moving to the pad to the walls going up to the roof till it culminated one I believe it was a Tuesday in April. About half the church met up there on that hill and watched them put the steeple on. And I'll never forget that day. It was a very special time as we met and celebrated that. And then the first Sunday that we were able to come in here and worship together, everybody was waiting outside, waiting to come in. And we had a couple of our trumpet players on the front porch stand out there and they blew the shofar <laughs> and you couldn't hardly come in here without shedding a tear and it was just that emotional of a time to see not what we had done but what God had done through this little group that said okay God 
we see the vision that our pastor has and we're going to get behind it and let's let, let's see what god will do if we'll be faithful and so we came in and what a wonderful sunday that was to come into this room for the very first time at that point in time the total i think for the whole deal was something like 3.7 million 3.7 million that's like a hundred thousand dollars per member <laughs> uh, to pay off and, and it was like wow how's this going to work but we were still depending on god and, and listen through six pastors that's our sixth pastor since that time uh three or four interims and a lot of things in that 20 years god has remained faithful to have his hand on here and i've never came to this church when i didn't get up on the hill and look and think god's got his hand on this place for some <laughs> i know what he wants us to do it's just like let, let we we would you know we were trying to get hold of the of what god would have for us and then these things would get in the way but god has always remained faithful god has always given this church and this this family of believers everything that we needed and i'll never forget one day i was here by myself and some guy who was pastor bill something been here years ago when they were meeting in the little building back here and he just drove up they were driving by the church wanted to see if the church was still here and he said he drove up in the parking lot and he almost couldn't believe what he was seeing and his wife was with him they said can we just come in and see it and they came in and standing right over there he, he grabbed his wife and hugged her former pastor from years back and said lord look what god has done and they were both crying and then i started crying and it was a mess but everything that's in here god did it it wasn't a, it wasn't a you know nobody said hey let's do this let's do that god god led this church to do here now whether you know and opinions run rampant <laughs> but this is what god led us to do and this is what we did and, and and god's been faithful to provide for us and to take care of us all the way to this point to this point and it's time that we knock this dead out we've always been able to do what we needed to do there's so many other things we wanted to do but we need to we need to get rid of this and as i was thinking about you know how how did we we had campaigns to pay for it we had money up front before we ever started that people had donated this church family had donated and we started the building campaign in the middle of all of this somewhere around 2010 i think or 11 no it was more like seven we built that gym down there it's about four hundred and seventy thousand dollars and we paid cash for it during all this and we still weren't we weren't a big church then it was just a body of believers faithful and and willing to do what God had led us to do to pay for that while still paying for this and in 2003 before construction ever started 
I never, that scene, I, I'd look for pictures and I couldn't find any. But our children's department, primarily our children's choir at that time, had been led to start the fundraising campaign for building this new church. And the kids were challenged to bring all the pennies church y'all can get your hands on all the pennies you can find so every wednesday for several weeks and sheila's doing this because a lot of pennies and then we said on this particular day we're going to roll these pennies up i mean like in a wagon not roll them up i mean bring them up to the altar in the old sanctuary and on this sunday we had kids bringing money bags like somebody robbed a bank walking in there and some of my i'm not going to call any names because i'll miss somebody but some of you are in here right now some of you young couples who are now married toted carried those money bags up here and pennies in that sanctuary and piled them on the altar we had a big pile of bags of pennies on that altar dear friend of mine and worked with the children's choir uh, three minutes is gone, no big deal. I'll sing fast. Uh, John Bridges and a few others probably were responsible for counting all those pennies. Folks, when they got through counting those pennies, it was about 120-something thousand pennies. So the children's choir started this thing off with about $1,200 worth of pennies as of right now, we owe about 120 something thousand dollars on this building. So on the 25th, these right here, that's your money bag, okay? I want you to pray and seek what God would have you to do. Put in here, let that be your money bag. And folks, let's pay this thing off. I know they said August. I'm praying God will bless in a big way. I'd love to see that thing taken care of the end of this month. And we can if we do one thing. And I heard it Wednesday morning, Clint, at that meeting. I heard him say, and boy, it spoke to my heart. He said, as soon as we realize that we don't own anything, we don't have anything. We're just stewards of everything that we have, all of our money, our homes, everything we have. And as soon as we realize we're just stewards of the things that are in our care right now, the easier it makes to write a check, to give that money in here. I don't, I don't believe anybody here is gonna hurt themselves by donating anything to this challenge to pay this debt off for the glory of God, for his honor to knock this thing out. So. If y'all want to come on up, y'all make your way on up. We'll, we'll pray in just a second. But come on up and let's pray, if you will. Begin praying in your own heart, God, what would you have me to do? And I believe that God will reveal it to you and then do that. Okay? Brother Chip, are you here close by? There's Chip. So, Chip, you pray for us and we'll continue on with worship as they're still coming. Okay?
Folks, I know that big things happen when we just put ourselves in God's hands and we just ask him, what do you want me to do? And we say, here I am. So let's pray and ask for God's guidance here. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning just standing in this place, recognizing that it's not this place, it's this assembly, it's these people that are your people, God, and you've called us together to worship you, to lift you up, to praise you. Father, whether it's in a little tiny building or a big ornate structure, it doesn't matter. And Father, we're reminded, um, as Mike said so well, um, we're reminded constantly that none of this is ours. It's all yours. And you take it and you take something that, that seems very, very small and you place it in our hand and then God, you multiply it. You turn pennies into dollars and dollars into buildings and buildings into assembly of people who come and they worship you for a purpose, God. Again, not for the building, not for the place, but for the purpose of, of building your kingdom. And God, our prayer is that, that we would keep that at the very forefront of our minds. And through this endeavor, Father, that we would remember that um, we're just we're just trying to take and and free up some things so that we can do your work so that we don't have to worry about it god everything comes from you everything is yours and we just ask father for your guidance just be with us god guide us we ask that as we take our offering this morning that you would just again remind us that it's yours and that we would be wise in how we use it. Now go with us, God. Guide us, direct us in everything we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. See 
invitation to let it all go. I see it now, I'm laying it down, and I know that I need you. I run to the Father, I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon. My soul needs a friend, so I run to the Father again and again.
Well, amen and amen. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 5 as we continue through our Joshua series, Joshua chapter 5. And just as we get started this morning, I'm just curious if anyone else out there is in the same boat that I am and you have a chronic need to be reminded of things. Where's all the husbands at? Amen. Like Whitney doesn't remind me of things anymore. She, she lets out this kind of, <clears throat> and I immediately recognized there was something I forgot to do. And she doesn't have to verbalize it. It's a very subtle reminder. You see, I'm convinced in my old age, let that sink in for a moment. And I don't know if it is my undiagnosed ADHD or years of brain injuries from football, but there's certain things that I struggle to remember. Like if you tell me something, I can guarantee you I probably won't remember it. But it's weird because if I read something, I can remember that. Like a couple weeks ago, for example, I was reading a riveting book on Greek historiography. Not Greek history, historiography, how the Greeks wrote history. And on page 53 on the right hand side, about Two-thirds of the way down the page, there's a paragraph that's about five or six lines long that details how a particular historian by the name of Appian used previous material by another historian by the name of Polybius. But yesterday, Whitney and I had a conversation about what we're going to have for dinner tonight, and I have no clue. That's how my brain works. I don't understand it, Mike. I have a trouble remembering things from time to time. And I need reminders. You see, where we find ourselves this morning in Joshua, I find this chapter interesting. Because what we looked at last week, the Israelites had just crossed the Jordan. They have this major spiritual victory. They set the stones up as a memorial to remember what God had done. It's time to go to battle. But God presses pause in chapter 5. Before Israel could advance in their conquest, they needed to be reminded of a couple of things. I believe that they are things that you and I need to be reminded of as well. So two things I want us to see this morning in this text. First, Israel needed to be reminded of who they were. Israel needed to be reminded of who they were. Starting in verse 2, 
At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. Yeah, we're talking about that this morning. Get ready. But I find this interesting that they've just crossed the Jordan. They've built the memorial stones. They've heard the report that the kings of the nations have heard of the God of Israel and they melt away. Surely they were ready to fight. Surely they were ready to go to battle at this point. Like if there's ever been a spiritual high, this was it. Like imagine you just see God take a river flowing out of its banks and split it in two so you could walk through on dry ground. Don't you think you would be ready to storm hell with a water pistol? And yet God presses pause here. And so I just wonder if when God told Joshua this, there was a dramatic pause in there. Joshua, go make flint knives. Yes, go into war. And circumcise the sons of it. Wait, what? There must be bad cell reception over here around Jericho because I don't think I heard what you said, God. We're about to go to war and you want us to do what? We've got 40,000 fighting men ready to go to battle and you want us to do what? Make flint knives and circumcise the men. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Harloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who had came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. Why does God command them to do this? Because there was that generation, there was the Moses generation who had led them out of Egypt and they had practiced this custom of circumcision. And yet there was a generation after them that the wandering in the wilderness, they had neglected this. They had neglected this practice. Now, if we go back to Genesis, we see that God institutes this with Abraham, that circumcision was to be the covenant sign of God's people. That that was the recognizable aspect of the people of Israel. That as a people, they were recognized as being in covenant relationship with God through this. And so somewhere along the way, they neglected this. They neglected this demonstration of their covenant relationship. Somewhere in the wondering, 
they lost sight of who they were. And so before they could ever go into the conquest, God had to remind them of who they were. It says, for the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war came out of Egypt perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. You see, they needed to be reminded of their identity. In the midst of the wandering in the wilderness, they had lost sight of who they were as the covenant people of God, as having this relationship with God. They had lost sight of that identity. So before they could ever go in the conquest, they needed to be reminded of that identity. And I want you to see first and foremost that identity impacts action. Identity impacts action. Because of this identity, they do this. Because they recognize this covenantal relationship with God, they do what seems so counterintuitive to us. Like you're about to go to war. You really want to engage in that surgery before going into war? And yet their identity demanded action. And we see this all throughout the New Testament, don't we? That our action is not what gives us an identity, but our identity is what brings us to action. That as a new creation in Christ, it brings about something in our lives. That we are sons and daughters of the King. We sit at his table. We are accepted by him. That should change our course of action, shouldn't it? That we are his sons and daughters. So identity impacts action. But we keep reading verses eight and nine. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. Notice, getting identity right is worth delaying. They couldn't go in and start the war until they got their identity right. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. You see, being in Egypt brought shame and disgrace as they left. 
And through this action, God is saying, I have taken this off of you. That the way you used to identify in Egypt is not what identifies you any longer. I hope you understand this morning that in Christ, Christ has given you a new identity. And those things that identified you before Christ are not identifying you any longer. We are given a new identity in Christ. You see, I shared last week a little bit about our adoption story. And we're passionate about adoption because I believe adoption is one of the clearest pictures of the gospel that there is. But we even learned something after the adoption was finalized. I didn't really realize this was a thing. But after a few weeks after Sophia's adoption was finalized, we got her birth certificate in the mail. And on that birth certificate, it looks exactly like a birth certificate. But you see, her birth certificate doesn't have the name she was born under. It has the name she, that we gave her. And on that birth certificate, ne- listed next to father and mother, are our names. And so you see, it's as though we were in the room. It's as though she's always been ours. You see, she has a new identity. In the same way, hear me this morning, in Christ, you have been given a new identity. That those things that you were before Christ have no pull on you anymore. They are not what identifies you anymore. That in Christ, you have been given a new birth certificate. In Christ, your birth certificate does not have the name by which you used to be known, but it has a new name on it. In Christ, you do not have the same parents anymore, but you've been given a new father in Christ. And that should impact our attitude. That those things that used to define me are not what defines me any longer. Egypt no longer defined Israel. It was a new day in their identity. And my life before Christ is no longer what defines me today. Who I am in Christ is what defines me today. That should be our attitude, should be our mindset as we approach our mission and our task that God has given to us, that behold, the old has passed away and the new has come. That's what we walk in. We walk in that identity. But then we keep reading verses 10 through 12. 
So while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening in the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. We go back throughout the Pentateuch and we see God provides for his people and in the midst of their grumbling, he sustains them with this manna. He supernaturally provides for them from heaven. But you see, they were going towards a land that was plentiful. They were going towards a land flowing with milk and honey. That was their trajectory. And so the manna was temporary. The manna was not the end goal. The manna was something was to point them to something far more satisfying. You see, identity impacts action and it impacts attitude but it also impacts appetite. You see, as we understand who we are in Christ, our appetites should change. We should no longer simply desire temporary things, but we should desire what satisfies and lasts for us. But you see, if my identity's off and I lose sight of what my identity is, I'll simply chase what is temporary. I'll simply chase what satisfies for a moment but does not last. Identity changes appetite. That when I truly understand who I am in Christ, I want to grow in that, Nelson. I want to grow in Christ. And that changes my appetite from what is temporary to what will last. You see, they needed to be reminded of who they were. That they were the people of God in covenant relationship with God. But they had lost sight of that in the wondering. And if we aren't careful, we'll go through seasons of wondering in the wilderness and we too can lose sight of who we are in Christ. And it's easy and I get it. They can, the wandering in the wilderness can sometimes just be us in survival mode. Like, let us just get through the week and we lose sight of who we are in Christ. That I'm an adopted son or daughter of the king. I'm sitting at his table, eating his food, enjoying his presence. That's not survival mode. But if we wonder, 
we can begin to lose sight of our identity. So they needed to be reminded of who they were. But then second, Israel needed to be reminded of whose they were. As we end this chapter, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? So they're preparing to go into Jericho now. We don't know how much time has lapsed, but they're preparing to go in. And here standing before Joshua is a man with his sword drawn. Joshua goes, are you for us or are you for them? And I absolutely love the response, no. <laughs> Whose side are you on? Are you on our side or are you on their side? No. But I am a commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. You see, they, have to, they had to understand whose they were. That God was not a pawn that they could move and keep in their back pocket and play whenever it seemed fitting. That is not God. God is not a God who takes sides. He is a God who takes over. See, how often do we wrestle with this? Is, is God on my side in this or is God on their side in this? That's not the question we should ask. But am I on God's side in this? See, I used to wrestle with this. Because Clint, I remember in high school before games, we would, we would pray. We, you know, we'd pray, but we would win. And then there was always that one kid that would pray that got like a little too into it and started using King James English and that God would smite our enemies and stuff like that. That always seemed kind of weird to me. But I always wondered this. Like that just seems weird to pray because what if the other team is praying for the same thing? Like we're praying to win and they're praying to win Whose prayer does God answer? My experience was typically the more talented team, God answers that prayer. But God's not a God to take sides. God's not interested in taking your side. God is much more interested in you being on his side doing what he seeks to accomplish, what he seeks to work, what he seeks to do. You see, God is far too big of a God to stick in my back pocket and assume he has my side in anything. 
but am I on his side on this issue? Whatever it is, God is not a God of sides. You see, identity understands God's purpose. That God is bigger than me. God is greater than me. And he's not a pawn that I can use whenever I see fit. Before us or for our adversaries, no. It says, and Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does the Lord, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. What does God wanna say to me, Mr. Commander, Sergeant General? Well, see, Joshua, God wants to tell you that in order to have a successful military campaign, you need to have regiments like this and make sure they're positioned like this. Understand where you're standing is holy ground. You see, identity understands God's purpose, but second, identity understands God's presence. It understands his presence. What made the ground holy? Because God was there. Because God was present. You see, and it was God's presence that would lead them to victory. It was God being in the midst that would bring them success. It wasn't because of Joshua, it was because of God. You see, I wonder individually, how different would our lives look if we truly wrapped our minds around God's presence in our lives. Like if when I got in the car tomorrow morning and Jesus came and sat in the passenger door, like would that look different? Would that be a different commute to work tomorrow? Or if I sat down in the office and Jesus sat down across the desk from me. Would my work look different tomorrow? Here we go, let's get into dicey territory. What about tomorrow when my children start misbehaving and Jesus was in the room? Would my parenting look different? if Jesus was in the room. See, because while he may not be physically in the room, spiritually Christ is present. See, because as believers, we are described as being in Christ. 
God is described as being omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. So while he may not physically be sitting in the chair, he is present with us. What about corporately? How different would Sunday morning corporate worship look if there was a chair sitting right here and Jesus came and sat down in it, how different would that look? Well, see, Jesus, I want to worship today, but Mike didn't play my favorite song, so I'm just going to sit over here. See, Jesus, I want. Jesus is in the room. Or how different, we have deacons meeting right after worship this morning. How different would deacons meetings be if Jesus came and sat down in the room? How different would life group be if Jesus came and sat down in the room? You see, while he may not be physically there, Jesus is spiritually present. When we gather together for corporate worship, he's present. When we gather together for deacons meeting, he is present. When we gather together for life group, he is present. And we must understand that God is with us. He is present. And our identity in Christ helps us understand that. So as we go to our central idea this morning, it's rather simple. Before the people of God can engage in their mission, they must understand their identity. Before the people of God can engage in their mission, they must understand their identity. This was true in Joshua's day, and this is true in our day. We must understand our identity. We must understand who we are in Christ. So as we said, Identity impacts action, it impacts attitude, it impacts appetite. But it also provides an understanding of God's purpose and his presence. As the band comes back to the stage, see, as Mike made mention, we're praying that God does some big things here at Airline Baptist Church. We're praying that God does those things. And we understand the mission that we have before us. We understand identity. That's why we've spent the past couple months on Wednesday nights just working through what is our airline identity as a corporate body of believers. So we understand the value and the role in that. 
But as we engage our mission, this becomes critical. You see, because our mission is an overflow of our identity. As a church, as individual believers, we act not for identity, but from our identity. We don't go and do and work so that one day we can be a child of God. We go and we do and work because we already are a child of God. We don't go to church so that we would be accepted by a holy God. We gather together for corporate worship because we already have been accepted by a holy God. See, our identity changes everything. So this work that we do, we don't do it so that God would look down and be like, all right, I can, I can love the folks at Airline Baptist Church now. We don't, we don't do this free freedom campaign because if we raise this money, then God will love us. We do it because God has already loved us. We don't want to raise $126,000 so that God would think highly of us. We want to do that because God has already thought highly of us. You say, what do you mean? How do you know God has already thought highly of us? Because even when we were in sin, Christ died for us. Even when we were a complete wreck, he loved us and welcomed us in and regenerated us and justified us and adopted us, placed us at his table. That's not something we work towards. That's something we work from. But our identity must be right. We have to understand who we are in Christ. So as we close today, you may have come in here today and you're, you would say, I identify more with the first half of that passage. I've just been wandering in the wilderness. I've lost sight of who I am in Christ. Would you come pray with me? Come pray with Clint at the end. Let us encourage you and help remind you of who you are and whose you are. Because what gets beautiful is when this becomes a collective thing, that when we as a church truly understand who we are in Christ, 
we can get after the mission. We can get after what God has in store for us. But if we don't understand who, who we are in Christ, we will never get there. I'm going to pray. If you want to come pray, this altar's open. If you need somebody to pray with, I'll be standing to this side. Clint will be standing over here. But let's respond to God today. Father God, we love you. We praise you. God, help us. Remind us of our identity in you. God, we are loved. We are accepted. We are adopted children of the King of kings and Lord of lords. So God, give us the strength to live that out. To do the task that you've called us to do. And we'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we respond today. Thank you so much for being here today. Again, if you're visiting, I'd love to connect with you out in the foyer after worship today. Um, a couple quick announcements. This week, we are hoping to finalize our Easter plans. Easter will be here before we know it. 
And so one of the things that we know we are definitely going to do, we still got to iron out the exact date, is another community Easter egg hunt. And so you might have saw the baskets as you came in today. Um, and so I encourage you, if you want to donate eggs to go towards that, if y'all remember last year, we had a massive turnout at the Easter egg hunt. Um, and we're praying for the same thing this year. And so if you're interested in donating some eggs, you can um, drop those off in the baskets as you come in and out of church. And then you can see a few other things, of course, again, mark it on your calendar, VBS, June 3rd through the 7th. And again, that's going to be in the mornings, and so we're excited to have round two again this year um, of another exhausting week. I'm just kidding. It's a great week. Um, but again, thank you so much for being here today. I'm going to ask Mike to close us in prayer, and we will be dismissed. Father, so much for the privilege to be here today. God, it's been a blessing to come together, this body of believers, to worship you and to praise you, God. The time, in, even in rehearsal this morning, God felt your presence. In our small group time this morning, Lord, we, we felt you there. During the worship time today, we, God, we know you're here with us, among us, in us, God. And so, Lord, we just give you all the praise. And as we leave this place, God, today, you're still with us. So, God, help us to always remember that wherever we are, whatever we're doing, God, you're there, and we're to represent you and to bring you honor and glory in everything that we say and do. God, now lead us. Help us to be pleasing to you, Father. We love you and give you praise. In Jesus' name, and all the church family, say it. Amen. Amen.